Welcome to the NFL 100 show, a show from Gridiron for the 100th season of the NFL, celebrating its greatest rivalries week by week by talking to those who took part in them. And this week, it's the Dallas Cowboys against the Miami Dolphins. It's Super Bowl VI with Hall of Famers. This is the Gridiron 100 show. Okay, welcome to the Gridiron 100 show, Will Gavin and Matthew Sherry. We're not together for the first time doing this show, but as you've just heard from the wonderful ambient background noise, um, that's because Sherry has literally just landed back into the country and is at Heathrow Airport at the moment. Morning, Matthew. How are you doing? Good morning, Will. Yeah, I'm pretty tired. I haven't slept at all. Um, I'm just waiting for a flight to, to Newcastle in a couple of hours' time. So, yeah, but, I mean, I can't complain. It was a fantastic trip, so... I mean, the last time we were on a flight together, you watched two hours of what you later described as basically being Patriots porn, uh, celebrating their sixth Super Bowl. So if you didn't sleep at all on this flight, what did you do? Uh, I watched um, a couple of um, rom-coms and also um, the one with... The one with Bradley Cooper and uh, Lady Gaga in Star is Born, I watched that as well. I was convinced you were going to be like, I watched some film, I was watching the games back, I was writing nah. for the book. But no, even Matt Sherry, my favourite NFL historian, has to, shut, <laughs> has to turn himself off occasionally. Yeah, I had to, I had to, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done until Monday now. I'm shutting it all down, so watch the games and, and just enjoy them this weekend, I think. Uh, before we get into this week's topic, how was your trip to NFL Films in particular? It was, yeah, it was awesome. And, and actually, just like a really random situation in which we were going to do, a, we were going to do the next magazine on the, on the Browns and then they lost in week one and I kind of feared that by the time it comes out there could be 0-3, oh 1-2, something like that. So I wanted to come up with a different angle. Um, obviously, the Monday Night Football game was a repeat of the first ever one. So after I'd finished the stuff that I needed to get for the book, I just said to the guy, you wouldn't happen to have the first broadcast of Monday Night Football, would you? And of course they did. So I was able to kind of, I've done, the, the next magazine is, the headline is Factories of Sadness, the, the, the bruise and battle back to prime time. And it's, on, it's basically the, the Jets and the Browns history since that Monday Night Football game and this, and there's loads of parallels between the two that I've gradually kind of thought of. Uh, Belichick, butt fumble, the fumble, you know, the fact that neither has been in a Super Bowl since that first Monday Night Football game. But just being able to kind of intro the piece with a description of, of the way Monday Night Football first kicked off and what viewers saw from their living rooms was, was really cool. It just sums up how, how, how much easier my job would be if I could just be sat in that office 24-7 so. <laughs> now uh, coming up on this show today we are looking back at Super Bowl 6 as this weekend the Dallas Cowboys take on the Miami Dolphins a little bit like last week with our Cincinnati Bengals 49ers show this is a little bit more about the history of those Dallas Cowboys we'll be hearing from Super Bowl winner Ed Tootall Jones recent Hall of Fame inductee Gil Brandt and Clark Hunt who is now of course the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs but at the time uh Lamar Hunt as the AFL was formed and a Texas Dallas boy himself uh, one of the people who really helped form the Cowboys and form the league his father so uh, we'll get into that with him as well um, Sherry where do you where do you want to start really sir 
Yeah, I mean, I, I apologise in advance to Dolphins fans who are going to feel that we've sold them short on the intro um, because it's not really about the Dolphins. But there is going to be a podcast about that era Dolphins. I can't remember the week, but the player Washington one week and that's a beat at the Super Bowl where the Dolphins went unbeaten. So rest assured, you'll get all that Dolphins as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it's really the story of the, the, the birth of, of America's team and, and the unlikely story behind it. And I guess the starting point of that is, you know, both of both, there were two teams that formed in Dallas in 1960, the AFL Dallas Texans and the NFL Dallas Cowboys. Now, by this point, most people believe professional football in Dallas was never going to work. Now, that is crazy to think of now when the Cowboys are the most profitable and the richest sports franchise on earth. But in 1952, they tried to put a team in Dallas in the NFL, the Dallas Texans. Um, they were an absolute disaster. I think they went one and eight. Um, th- their first game was played in in front of like eight thousand people. It was a complete and utter disaster to the point where most in the league thought, "Look, professional football in Dallas can't possibly work." But then, you know, nineteen sixty comes along, and and Lamar Hunt, who, as you suggested, was was from Dallas. He was the um, he was the son of a very rich oil man, one of the richest men in the world, um, Lafayette Hunt. And, and yeah, he he was from Dallas. He wanted to start a professional sports team. He, he toyed with both baseball and football, settled on football after watching the, the 1958 championship game that was that was so game-changing in, in every sense. And watching Raymond Berry, his former college teammate, uh, star in that game and, and that franchise in Dallas. But he decided, I'm going to have a franchise Unfortunately for him, the NFL blocked his path as they did so many owners, and you know he he was simply too rich to be ignored. In the end, he found a lot of other millionaires slash billionaires in the modern day and and set up a, a rival league. And and then, as it turned out, once they realised how serious he was, the NFL offered him a team in Dallas, um, but he rejected them and and refused to leave the other guys in, in what became known as the foolish club owners refused to leave them in the lurch and then we ended up from 1952 everyone believing pro football in Dallas would never work to having two teams in 1960 uh, Brilliant the foolish club thing and that's where you kind of start off with Clark Hunt when you spoke with him talking to him about the formation of the AFL and what memories his dad had shared with him from that time Obviously, my conversations with my dad on that were, you know, 20 plus years uh, after the league had been founded. Yeah. Um, and at that point, he was looking back, you know, very fl- with very fond memories, but also a full appreciation for how difficult it was. And uh, if you were to talk to my mother today, uh, who was around in those early years, she remembers how bitter the battle was between the NFL and the AFL and how precarious the AFL was for much of its first five or six years in business. Um, because after the league got going, um, the NFL initially acted like um, they were happy about it. And, and they acted that way because they were under any trust investigation by Congress. Yeah. And so it was good for them to have a competing league. But the truth was uh, they wanted to put it out of business as quickly as possible, which is how the Dallas Cowboys came into existence. My dad's 
team was the Dallas Texans. Um, my dad had always wanted to start a team in his hometown, and that's what he did. And the NFL, after it changed its perspective, decided to put a team right in top on top of my dad's team. Uh, both teams played in the Cotton Bowl, and and they drew less than ten thousand fans. Both teams, um, which you know today is is amazing uh, to think about. Um, but but the NFL was trying to put it out of business, and then that turned into a battle for players. So both leagues were trying to sign the same players, which in call, caused a lot of inflation with the the salaries. Um, and you know that that battle went on for four or five years, and uh, finally the AFL uh, signed a new TV deal um, in uh, 1966, and the new TV deal paid them a lot more money. Um, and when that happened, the NFL realized that the AFL was not going away, and that's when they tasked. Uh, um, one of their representatives to contact my dad about a merger of the leagues. And and is it true that, you know, initially your dad had tried to get in the NFL, then they said no, That but then when they realized that he was serious about setting up the AFL, overtures were made and that was why the kind of the NFL expanded as well. And the the dad really could have had an NFL franchise at that point, but was so loyal <clears> to... The guys he'd start founded this idea with that you know he, he stuck on the course that was was planned at that point. That that, that is uh, it, exactly right. So in in 1959, after my dad had announced the plans for the AFL, um, the NFL came back to him. And keep in mind, he had asked the NFL for a franchise for two or three years, yeah. and he had tried to buy an. Ex- and the league had told him, you know, no the whole way. They weren't interested in expanding. They told him Dallas was a horrible market. It would never support pro football. Um, you know, things that today are just you know, very hard to believe. But uh, that was their perspective back then. But once my dad announced uh, his plans uh, for his new league, uh, they, the NFL realized how serious he was, and they came back to him and said, look, uh, you know, we're going to put a team in Dallas. Uh, we'll, we'll give you an ownership stake in that team if you'll just abandon your plans for the AFL. The problem was, at that point, my dad had already gotten commitments from the other AFL owners, um, who were all men who were interested in owning an NFL team but had had similar trouble in getting the NFL to agree to expand to their cities. And my dad had given them his word that, you know, that his AFL was going to go forward and, and he was not willing to break his word, even though he could have had what he wanted the whole time. Um, so, you know, that doesn't happen a lot, a lot today where, where, you know, people keep their word like that, but that's, you know, the type of man that my, my dad was. And, and I think it was uh, very much a reflection, um, of his commitment to the other AFL owners. Kansas City Chiefs owner Clark Hunt speaking with Matt Sherry uh, about the formation of the AFL, about the the Dallas Cowboys, about how the Dallas Texans, all of that came together. So there was a brief period where there were two professional football teams, the AFL's Dallas Texans and the NFL's Cowboys, founded, as you say, in reaction to the AFL. Eventually, Hunt had to prove to be the bigger man, of course. Yeah, he did, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, you're in a territory where... Most people don't think one team could work. Two definitely won't. And and they did just take big chunks out of each other. Now, 
the great irony is that the, the person who could afford that was Lamar Hunt. I mean, his dad was asked about him losing a million dollars in the in the Texans' his first year, and his dad replied, well, at that rate, he'll only be able to last 100 or so years. So he clearly had <laughs> lots of money to be able to sustain those losses. But, you know, he was... He was just, he was that kind of, he was that kind of guy, you know, he was a pragmatist and we'd see that throughout kind of the, the eventual merger and everything else and, and his role in that as well. And, and yeah, he decides ultimately to, to, to move his team to, to Kansas City, which then clears the way for the Dallas Cowboys to enjoy this new territory that, unlike what people thought in the early 50s, is actually, a, a, you know, a rich ground for, for to have a professional football team and, and, and the Cowboys really take advantage of that. Before we get into the, the kind of Clint Merchantson Tech Shram era, um, let's just hear first about the, well, the idea that there was still lots of battles between the AFL and the NFL yeah. at this period because you spoke with uh, with Gil Brandt, as we say, Hall of Famer, but the man who was running a lot of the front office for the Cowboys at that point. Uh, before we get into it, what is the babysitter programme? Uh, the babysitter program is so when they would compete for players in uh, college players, the NFL had something called a babysitter program. It was basically a bunch of like lawyers and things like that. And, and what they would do is they would take out the players to like hotels and places like that, and they would kind of they would kind of kidnap them, but not. <laughs> not explicitly like you know they basically had to entertain them and keep the AFL equivalents away so the NFL had this program of guys who would attach themselves to draft picks and then there's amazing stories the one Gilbrand tells is, is easily the best that I've seen but there's lots of them of, of you know the AFL having to, to circumvent these these spies almost I mean in the Cold War era this was you know, Kremlin-esque tactics. <laughs> well, let's hear from Gilbrandt Hall of Famer, who starts off by discussing the babysitter program. Well, the, the, the babysitter program was unbelievable. What we did is we got a pe- group of people uh, that were bankers, lawyers, uh, football fans, uh, and, and we assigned them a player. Uh, and and uh, we assigned them a player and gave them a credit card. And uh, their job, their job was to keep the player away from the from the AFL, the American Football League. And there's so many crazy stories. We lost one guy, uh, Taylor, yeah. uh, Otis Taylor, uh, because our guy Wallace Reed fell asleep. He had he had uh, he had one or two many cutty sarks and and and, and <laughs> fell asleep. And uh, and so Taylor escaped out of the back window of the uh, place and uh, and we were left with a guy named Seth Cartwright now we had the two of them there we had no interest in Cartwright at all <laughs> but Cartwright was his best buddy and so we figured that by having Cartwright there it would help us uh, for the eventual signing of Otis Taylor uh, but uh, we lost Otis and, uh, and we sent uh, Cartwright back home uh, brilliant from Gilbrand. We will hear more from Gilbrand on that um, on the early era of the Cowboys. Let's get into that now. Uh, the kind of Tex Shram Clint Merchantson era. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the era is highlighted by the, the nickname that endures to this day, America's team. And, and you know, the creation of America's team is, is not something that you can pinpoint to one thing. It's a, it's a real confluence of factors. I mean, at a basic level, it was one moment that created it, which was an NFL Films producer was, was going over a highlights package and, and noted how well-supported the Cowboys were on the road to the point that they were almost like the home team in every game. And then he coined the term America's team. But, you know... That that phenomenon happened because of various reasons, and 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 I guess the main reason is you know Clint Murchison, the owner, was was a guy who who invested the money, but he also invested the trust in in Tech Shram to to essentially run the operation how how he saw and and Shram was a just a, an incredible man, you know he he'd spent a lot of time as an executive with the Rams and done really well as a and there's a million stories. I mean, he basically oversaw the first ever scouting network with the Rams, which is a separate story in itself. It's it's incredible how it was done and and how he started to turn scouting into a into a more exact science then. And he he would take that on with the Cowboys. But I, I guess his influence in Dallas is still seen in in the mystique that, that surrounds them, and that was built through a number of factors. That the cheerleaders are one. You know, the relationship with God is important. The, the, the whole Cowboys stadium as a whole in the top so God could watch his, his famous team all this built the mythology and then that gets added to by the quarterbacks Andy Don Meredith the local boy who was their quarterback from the start he transitions out late in the 60s and then you get Roger Starback the, the buttoned up face of the franchise Christian quarterback who coined the phrase Hail Mary by saying he said a Hail Mary before throwing it a pass against the Vikings I think it was so you have all these things that I guess the Cowboys' biggest impact outside of their own realm was, was in scouting and that is why they became America's team because the scouting was so good that they quickly became a good team and you know the, the key to becoming a good team was was three factors it was Tech Schramm it was Gil Brandt his, his understudy and it was Tom Landry, the, the brilliant head coach, who'd been a, a great defensive coordinator for the Giants. And the key in terms of scouting at this point, so Shram's already played a huge part in scouting 20 years previously, but what he did now is start to computerise all of the testing and everything else. Now, this happens because in the years between the Rams and the Cowboys, Shram works for CBS and he, he does a Winter Olympics as a producer or as an executive for CBS and what they did at the Winter Olympics is they put a chip in into a skier to into a skier's um, skis to to tell you how fast they were going now that gave him the idea of this computer system's amazing so essentially the, the cowboy with a couple of other a couple of other franchises and start to computerise um, measurements and, and, and things like that and build a profile of what players should be at positions. Now, it was extremely expensive. I think there was only three teams at the start, but eventually other teams started to get involved in this. But what separated the Cowboys from everybody else is everybody had the same measurements, but it was up, it was up to Brand in particular to determine which of those characteristics were most important for which positions. And the Cowboys were two decades ahead of their time on that, which is why they were able to draft guys like Starbuck, who they got in as a steal in the later rounds because he couldn't play for the first five years because of Naval Academy. But the big success stories are the likes of Bob Hayes, who was a brilliant sprinter, one of the fastest men in the world, who turned into a Hall of Fame wide receiver. You know, 
they, they got a kicker from Poland who played a soccer match at Wembley. There's lots of those stories, and and they hit on everything as well. They hit in all rounds. So Ed Tootall Jones is a guy we're going to speak to. He was, I think, he might have been the first overall pick, but he was certainly a high. He, pick. he was the number one overall pick. I contrast. can confirm that. I can confirm he was the number one yeah. overall pick. <laughs> There's not a lot of times where I can outdo you on a little bit of history, but there's one tiny bit for you. <laughs> I, I did say he was, didn't I? So <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and, and he, I think, I think we've got the audio of him. He, he talks about the importance of, of those three men in, in the building of the Cowboys. Well, look, what we'll, we'll hear from first, we're going to hear from Gil Brandt first talking about those computer systems, and then we'll hear from Ed Tootall Jones discussing the importance of those three men in the building. Well, you, you, you hit on it. Dallas is a great city. We had a great coach. Uh, more than anything, we had an owner, Clint Berkerson, uh, who financed all these projects. Uh, as an example, uh, the, the, the starting of the computer program was very, very expensive. Yeah. Uh, we, we eventually uh, hired the guy that, the, that IBM gave us to be our our expert uh, as far as programming and uh, what we did is uh, we hired him himself, himself and we started our own computer company and and you know initially uh, the, the people and I'll, I'll tell you this story about Vince Lombardi uh, 1962 draft uh, we uh, we held up the draft for uh, six hours I guess because we sent a a doctor down to Eugene, Oregon, from Portland, uh, to uh, to look at an injury that Mel Renfro had, and uh, and uh, after about two hours, he came by our table. And said, what happened? Did your computer break down? He says, I've never liked those things anyway. About two years, about two years later, he said, "You know, uh, uh, we would uh, we'd be interested in coming in partners with you." on that computer program and I said well Vince it costs three dollars to get in he said I mean three million to get in he said we're, we're not quite that interested <laughs> and, and and you know the thing you know the thing that's so interesting is that the IBM 360 computer that they started that we started with the size of it and, and the amount of wires how much it was built up uh, you know, it, it occupied a portion of a room. Yeah. Uh, and today, a laptop has more capacity, more capacity than that 365 IBM computer we used back then. Oh, that's awesome. And another good thing about it, too, is um, we were very close. Yeah. We uh, did a lot of things off the field, and we're still close even to this day. Yeah. We're in the community. Uh, we're involved in the community. We see each other call each other up we do a lot of good things together and you know, a lot of teams can't say that and, and, and Dallas have always been that way and and uh, that's something that I hope they continue to do some of my best friends were my teammates and, and, and how big kind of that that axis of, of Gil Brand and Tom Landry are kind of kind of Ooh, sorry, quite famous in terms of the way that they push the envelope with things like sports science. How important was that team in terms of setting the path for what we see in the NFL well, today? Well, they, they were the pioneers yeah. in a lot of areas. That's one of the uh, one of the advantages that we had. You know, Dallas was the first 
organization that go to the computer system. Yeah. Where we at the, you know, Landry, who, if I had to sum him up with one word, I would say he was a genius because most head coaches, they, uh, they're just good PR guys. But Coach Landry ran the offense, defense, yep. and special team. He programmed his assistants and they programmed us. But Coach Landry wouldn't ever show you the same thing from week to week. You know, you get three previous games of the, your opponent that you're going to play. Yeah. But Coach Landry might run that same play, but it would be from a totally different formation from week to week to week. So we came out with these big, thick computer books yep. that we had to study a lot. You couldn't learn all of it just doing the meeting that you had during the week at practice. We had to take those home with them and learn them. And Coach Landry, one of the things he always told us, if you work hard, continue good work ethic and study hard you'd have a long career with Dallas and that's why I played 15 years had several teammates that I played with for 13 14 years yeah and I, I, well I want to ask about that defensive unit and those guys you did play with because look at that line you talk about Harvey Martin Jethro Pugh yourself Randy White okay. that doomsday defense was uh, just an incredible, incredible. unit and yes. sometimes maybe a little bit underlooked when people talk about the all-time great defenses I think they should be up there in the top three or four and maybe they're sometimes out of that do you I mean, I'm no, we, sure you agree we, with that. We, but. We, we, had, we had a lot of talent up front, uh, very successful up front. We were able to shut people down. But we um, it was the price we had to pay. You know, not just guys talented. We studied together. We studied a lot. We, we'd go to different ones home during the week studying, trying to pick out different guys' strengths and weaknesses. So we paid a price for the success we had on the field. During the Cheltenham Festival, Betway are giving you the chance to win £50,000 in the free-to-play or to win game. Head to betway.com to play now. Up next, more horses. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Full time supply, 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. Hazel Irvin here, and I'm at Mammoth Insurance in Leeds, where Kate has arranged an office chair race to fundraise for sport relief. And these riders have got their kit on. They are rearing to go. And they're off. Taking an early lead and smashing injustice right out of the park, it's Daphne from Accounting riding the spreadsheet demon chair. Up comes Nina from HR on Beat Me and You're Fired, closely followed by Mark from Marketing on the 9 to 5 chair. Even Javid from Health and Safety's at it, weaving his clipboard like crazy. Go easy there, Javid. We don't want any injuries, fella. And from nowhere, it's Jenny on El Chero Loco, rolling right over poverty to cross the line first. And the crowd goes loco. Unbelievable. You can help change the world too. Just get your exclusive Sport Relief merchandise at Janeiro Sainsbury's. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. Uh, Gil Brandt and Ed Tootle Jones there. I mean, Ed Tootle Jones, we said, first overall pick, but came a little bit later, just ahead of, of their, I think, their second Super Bowl success he came just ahead of. Uh, but it didn't come to them immediately. Whilst there was kind of surprisingly instant success on the field, considering they'd started from scratch, you don't see a lot of expansion-type franchises be able to do that. They didn't get the big one straight away, as it were. And then, yeah, they, they also, get, when they eventually get to Super Bowl, which is Super Bowl five, they, they lose that as well in a, in a real close game against the, the Baltimore Colts, who themselves had had some, some hard 
in the 60s. I mean, they had lost Super Bowl three. There was one year where they had the second best record in the league and didn't make the playoffs just through the the, the, the division seedings at the time. So, so yeah, and you start to get the idea that perhaps guys are that, you know, they're a great team, great coach, but can they ever win the big one? And um, and with with the game against the the Miami Dolphins and and emphatically win it as well. I think that's the that wasn't a it was it was a proper emphatic victory over a young team to be found I mean, the Dolphins teams who go on to win the two Super Bowls in a row after that more experienced. They've got some guys in the building who used to winning championships as well. But yeah, I mean they eventually got there and 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 the legend only grows with with the Super Bowl success. Well, that brings us around nicely back to where we started this whole thing with the fact the Cowboys are playing the Dolphins this weekend, the team they beat in their very first Super Bowl. But it'd be a bit remiss of us to just talk about that era for the Cowboys. Uh, They end up going back to another Super Bowl six years later against the Broncos. Uh, Again, it felt like they probably could have won more around then. Yeah, I mean, they lost one against the Steelers. and, And I think they were unfortunate in the same way were in the 60s to coincide with that Steelers team because I mean I think that Steelers team is a match of the Packers if not better than them because we'll do something on them again at some point but the, the thing with the they, they, they were able to win in two completely different eras in that they won two titles before the 78 rule changes and two after when the game did completely change overnight and 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 Dallas Dallas were a great team just not quite as good as that Steelers team and you know, it, it kind of rumbles on then, and and I guess right through to to the early '80s, will when when your boys kind of took up took up the baton with the catch. I mean, that was the game, wasn't it, where that that really launched the the dynasty that we spoke of last week. The 49ers was beaten Dallas in the NFC Championship game. Tom Landry, for all his success, did only win two Super Bowls. I mean, he's two more than a lot of other coaches but he, he coached for a lot of years and, and had a lot of success but they did only get the, the two championships I guess with the Cowboys though it extends beyond what we see on the field and into the off the field stuff as well this was the the start of what we know now as, as kind of big day and what Jerry Jones took on in the, in the, in the 1990s Well look, we heard earlier from Ed Tootle Jones talking about uh, working with those that trifecta of brilliance that was there in, in Shram, in Brant and of course in Landry as well he played in that second Super Bowl victory so let's hear from him on getting to and winning that Super Bowl and what made that era for the Cowboys so special Well the greatest thing about it was growing up as a kid I was a Cowboy fan so to get to be drafted and get to play with them was truly amazing. And uh, that first Super Bowl experience um, in, in Super Bowl Ten, we lost to Pittsburgh. But at, uh, a couple of years later, Super Bowl Twelve, we we beat Denver uh, in, in, in New Orleans. And that feeling is something that I wish every player who ever meant something to the game could experience. So that's to, to, to wake up the next morning and realize you are Super Bowl champs is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's a time then that the guys you had around the team at that point, Tom Landry, Mike Ditka, these amazing head coaches uh, who went on to, obviously Ditka went on to win a Super Bowl and we'll talk about you playing over in Europe and facing his team, but what were the coaching like at that point? Cause those well, were we had the b- best coaching in the league, you know, with, with Coach Landry at the helm, but several of his assistants, like Mike Ditka, Gene Stallings, you know, went on to become great head coaches them, themselves. 
uh, Ernest Stoughton at a Hall of Famer uh, from who was my defensive line coach that that played with the Steelers. So, you know, being a player, one of the things that that you at, always want to do, and that is when you walk on the football field, you want to know that you're prepared. Well, with that coaching staff, one thing we knew that we were never outcoached. You might beat us, but it wasn't because we weren't both mentally and physically prepared. And and how special was that time? Because so yeah, that's kind of a, a, a an oral history of the early Dallas Cowboys, how they came to be America's team via that Super Bowl win over the Dolphins, the team they faced this weekend in our NFL 100 show. Uh, this is where I normally ask you what game we're doing next week, Sherry. But I'm aware that you're sat in an airport and probably don't have all your notes in front of you. Um, Every week, there's lots of games for us to, that we could kind of pick. Again, with this week, there were kind of two or three that had some historical significance. And like we say, we'll talk about from a Dolphins perspective, when they play Washington later this season, we will talk about the unbeaten season and hear from a number of players that were involved then. But um, a lot of this stuff features in the book, which has now, Matthew Sherry, actually been officially announced. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, I've been, I've been kind of hinting at it for, for so long I mean and I'm, I'm just that excited about it it's it's called Any Given Sunday it'll be out in, in August next year it'll it'll be out on the exact date of the first ever meeting uh, for the league which I think is quite nice and yeah I mean me and you spent some time at the, the site of the first game a couple of weeks ago Will um, and the book's actually nearly finished I've got like two and a half chapters to go Wow, I've uh, I've been putting off a David Tyree interview that I'm finally going to do next week. Um, <laughs> I wonder what you could ask, be asking him about. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's yeah. I'm, I just I, I hope these podcasts give people a a proper taste of of what's in it. Um, I'm 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 really excited about it. The interviewees are, are amazing. I mean the list is 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 has just been incredible. It's been genuinely the the biggest pleasure in my life to put it together. So so yeah. Just, just when it's out in August, I hope people buy it. Yeah, well, I hope I get a free copy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should I should probably pay for it to be honest to show support. But you know what? Screw you. Um, look, I, it, it is genu- I'm genuinely excited about it, and actually going on these trips and chatting to you about the book and and doing this NFL 100 stuff, you can see the enthusiasm that's there, and and how much cool history there is, and how many great stories there are. And this is it. People are getting like a flavour of this from this podcast, a flavour of kind of how just how great some of those stories are just how many there are to be told so hopefully you know it's given you that that itch and and made you want to hear more and read more because we will keep bringing you this podcast we've got another you know 15 weeks 14 weeks of the regular season to go and who knows if there's some significant playoff matchups maybe we'll take it beyond that uh there's a lot of content to get to um uh, I've had a look at the schedule next week. I can't figure out which game it is we're doing next yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, so. we've got three options next week again. Um, okay. I haven't decided what it's going to be yet because um, it's interview dependent. I've got like four requests. I've not got an interview yet. So it's the one week where I didn't have one lined up. I'm, I'm hoping we might get Dan Fouts because uh, the Dolphins Chargers 41-38 playoff game was is one of the three. Um and for me, the most appealing of the three, but there's there's other options. <laughs> I like that. I like the. I think we will get. I mean, the thing is, the, the the slight annoyance with the format is, I'm pretty sure we're getting fouts at some point. So at some point, we will bring people that game one way or another and do something with it. But um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how the next seven days play out. 
hope and pray for us, guys. Um, Sherry, go get your flight back up to the northeast. Take a few days off of football. Put your feet up, and we'll catch up at the start of next week, mate. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Will. Good man. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the NFL 100 podcast. Don't forget that every week we have college podcasts. We have our review and preview of the weekend's games as well. That's all on our podcast network. And subscribe to Gridiron. Do your picks game. Just head to the website for all the information. It's gridiron-magazine.com. Hello, you're listening to the Horse Ramble Daily, where we'll be covering all of your horse needs. There's more every day during the Cheltenham Festival. Betway are giving you the chance to win £50,000 in the free-to-play for-to-win game. Head to betway.com to play now. Up next, more horses. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, horse, horse. Full-time supply, 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org.